Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast episode you'll be listening to today is entitled Defining Ourselves Through External Influences, originally produced and published by Heather Fraser of the Pivot Parenting Podcast. We're excited to share this episode with you, but before we do, we wanted to mention Dr. Finlayson Fife's new YouTube channel. This YouTube channel includes videos of popular podcast interviews, recordings of online summits Dr. Finlayson Fife has participated in in the past, and clips and highlights from Dr. Finlayson Fife's popular Facebook Live videos. You can find the link to Dr. Finlayson Fife's YouTube channel in the show notes below. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy this episode. You are listening to Pivot Parenting, Episode 11, and I'm your host, Heather Frazier. Welcome to Pivot Parenting, the place where we recognize when your parental role needs to shift and how to do it. All right, guys, I'm super excited about what I have for you today. As promised, I have Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife as a guest, my very first guest ever. And if you know her, then I'm sure you love her. And if you don't, you're going to love her because she is pretty amazing. A little bit of background on her. She is an LDS relationship and sexuality coach, as well as a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. She has a PhD in counseling psychology. Her teaching and coaching focuses on helping individuals, specifically in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, individuals and couples to achieve greater satisfaction and passion in their emotional and sexual relationships. In addition to consultation with couples and individuals, she teaches online relationship and sexuality courses designed to foster self and sexual development and create happier relationships and individuals. She's pretty amazing. She offers live workshops, which are definitely on my bucket list. And I have done several of her online courses, which are also fantastic. She is a frequent guest on LDS theme podcast and writes articles for church blogs, magazines on the subject of sexuality, relationships, uh, parenting, mental health, faith, all of it. So that's why I really wanted to have her on because she is like a brain ninja. So here's the interview. I hope that you love it. And I can't wait to hear what you've got to say. The topic for today is how do we as humans commonly validate ourselves with things outside of us? And today we have a very special guest, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Thank you, Jennifer, for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, One of the things that I think of when I think of this topic is I remember very distinctly growing up, I grew up in rural Idaho Mm. and we were definitely on the poor side of life growing up. Mm. And a lot of my clothes, I was number five of six children and a lot of Mm. my clothes were hand-me-downs. And I had an older sister that totally got it. And when I was in junior high, she bought me a new pair of guest jeans. <laughs> and yeah, nice sister. And growing up in the 80s and 90s, you know, oh, yeah. that's a huge big, that's that's a big, a deal. big deal. Yeah. It's almost <laughs> as good as like the Esprit backpack or the Banana Republic oh. t shirt. Do you remember those? Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I remember 
never got to have one. Yeah. <laughs> I know. But so I got the guest jeans and then I felt valid. I felt like yeah. I had really stepped into, you know, legitimate society. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, um, yeah. how, why do you think we do this? Why do we base our value on external things? Well, I think from a developmental perspective, we can't help but do that. So, you know, as I've talked about on other podcasts, that our physical autonomy outpaces our psychological autonomy. And so we are inherently dependent when we are born psychologically on others to define a self. Our sense of self is inherently dependent. And so we're looking to caregivers and people around us to help us define both reality, to organize reality, and to organize our sense of self within that reality. And, um, and because of that, you, you know, human beings want very much to get a sense from the people around them that they are legitimate that they are important, that they belong. And so it's very instinctive for human beings to create ways of measuring whether or not you're inside, whether or not you're legitimate, whether or not you're sufficient. Because it's, um, you know, we want that sense of belonging so much that we're looking for ways to establish it in other people's minds. And so, you know, th that's where it comes from. Now, ideally, if we're really going to be happy and really be free, we grow out of a dependency on that validation. It's not, it's not that it doesn't matter to us or we don't care what anybody thinks, but it doesn't become the, the way that we make sense of who we are and the way of defining whether or not we're sufficient. But a lot of people, a lot of us don't grow out of it. And I think it's especially challenging if you grew up in a very conditional environment or an environment where you constantly got the message that you weren't measuring up or you weren't sufficient. And so um, it can be harder to let go of those things if you sort of were injured around some of those meanings as a younger person. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I was going to ask how do we grow out of that and how do we evolve and recognize that in ourselves to change it? Does that make sense? Like well, as yeah, a child, yeah. I think sure. you learn the ability to um, meta think around the age of 16, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I might be, yeah, I'm not, I can't remember now. It might be 12 actually, but, but probably we get much better at it when we're in our later adolescence. Yes. Yeah. So how can we recognize that and make that alteration within ourselves? Yeah, well, I think that what a lot of my my online courses do, or a lot of what my therapy and coaching work is is around, is helping people to see how much they are defining themselves in terms of what other people want or other people's expectations, how much they are regulating their sense of self around how other people feel about them, because a lot of times it's so instinctive or we're even taught the idea that it's virtuous to do this, that we can feel like so much of our identity in our life is not ours. 
And a lot of us that feel depressed or feel the sense of should that runs every choice and every decision are being deeply impacted by this need for validation or how to say it, they, the validation runs their life even maybe more than they can recognize. So the question of how do you shift it, it's kind of a big question, but I think, um, first of all, recognizing that it's operating and the places where it really matters is when that pursuit of validation is actually interfering with you living in an honest way, living more true to your core values, being able to define your life in a meaningful way that is in line with your highest self. And so when the pursuit of validation interferes with that, it gets very costly. Because one of the things I, I talk about in my courses a lot is that you know, we, we want two things. We, we want to belong to the groups that we are born into. We want to belong to our family. We want to belong to a spouse. We want to belong to our community, our faith community. And so that's very important to us. And we will make a lot of accommodations in order to live peaceably with other people. But we don't just want to belong. We also want to belong to our sense of self, to our uniqueness, to our own gifts and our own um, ambitions and our own beliefs. And if you feel that you have to compromise too much of yourself in order to belong, you will be either very depressed or very angry, right? Because you are giving up, your integrity is being undermined in the pursuit of belonging or the pursuit of validation. So when people come to me, for help, it's often around these pain points where they are recognizing they are compromising too much or they can't get, they either can't get the validation they want or the pursuit of the validation is actually undermining their peace with themselves. And so seeing it um, and looking at the cost of it is really important for changing it because changing it means tolerating sticking your neck out. It means tolerating making choices that may not get other people's validation, that often do not get other people's validation. Um, and so it means tolerating the risk of defining yourself in terms or in line with what you believe is best or true or good and tolerating the inherent risk around validation that that requires. Yeah. So essentially closing that cognitive gap with changing your behavior or belief to find that peace of mind again, right? Am I following you right? Uh, um, can you say that one more time? I didn't quite understand how you put that um, together. but Closing the cognitive gap in a way that you are altering that belief or behavior so that you are again in line with your highest belief. Yes, or seeing, you know, I have not been being honest with myself. I've been sort of pushing down what my higher belief is. It's more present. And now it feels harder to keep compromising myself or being in pursuit of this validation because I can see that it's costing me. It's a self-betrayal in a way. And so I need to take the risk 
because it's the right thing to do, because it's the stronger way to be. But I think our development is much, while validation can certainly be a good part of development and knowing you belong and knowing that you matter, so much of our development into adults is actually making choices in, out of integrity in the face of invalidation. It's when you dare to fulfill the measure of your creation to become uh, a unique expression of the divine. And it's the unique part that scares us because a lot of us are looking to be the one in the guest genes with the esprit backpack. I can't remember which one. <laughs> yeah, no, <for> sure. <laughs> All right. Or that, you know, because it seems safer. And, yes. but it's actually much less safe, really, if you really want to be happy, if you let everybody else define who you are and you don't take responsibility for defining a life that you really feel good about. Yeah, I love that. I, as I have been thinking about this concept the past few weeks, I just am wondering if it's ever good to validate with titles and with, um, like, for example, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, could we validate, like, I'm a missionary or um, I'm a member of this church and here are all the good things that we do. Is there ever an upside to validating externally? Yes, I, I certainly think so. And I, I'm certainly, I don't, a lot of times people will misunderstand sort of that I have an issue with validation. I love getting validated. Let me be clear. <laughs> you know, when my husband says nice things to me or my sister does, it feels great, right? Or I think it certainly makes sense on some level to have titles or degrees because it's a way of demonstrating mastery or credentials or capacity. It's an imperfect system. But it is, a, it is a way of understanding what is one capable of doing, what has one done, um, because they're more around measures of competency or mastery. And that matters in any functional society. The trick is when we make titles or capacity or um, you know, what someone has or doesn't have equate it, when we equate it with value or we equate it with somebody's inherent worth as a human being, okay, that, of course, is problematic. And when we, and we do this as human beings, we will tend to like people or want to be close to people that we think have status, and we'll tend to esteem them and want their approval more than the people we perceive to have less status. But that's about our own anxiety and our own insecurity, and we're trying to establish our legitimacy and kind of using people in this way and it's very unchristlike. It, it's not the way God wants us to see ourselves or each other, um, which is different than markers of mastery or, or capacity. Yeah. And I almost sense? think yeah. it totally does. And I almost think that sometimes we do this to each other just mm -hmm. as much as we do it to ourselves. I know. So I've been married for over 20 years and my husband is a physician. Mm -hmm. And before we moved away to medical school, uh, we had a family party and my husband's aunt said to me, oh, you will make such the perfect doctor's wife. <laughs> and I was kind of horrified. I just thought like, mm. he just is my husband and this is mm. his career that he wants to do. But mm -hmm. 
I've never forgotten it. It was over 20 years ago. And she was labeling me and putting me in a box. I assume it was a compliment. I don't know. She probably, probably, she probably meant it as a compliment coming out of the, the society or the way of thinking about men's and women's roles that she probably was coming out of. Right. And how she thought about that. So it was a way for you to have a kind of status through your affiliation with your husband. So, but it's a problematic idea in the sense that you get defined through someone else's accomplishments and your connection to them. Yeah. It really Mm -hmm. rubbed me wrong. And I've, sure I've thought as I've gone through, you know, we lived a decade of medical school and residency that's postgraduate work and how I interact with other people and how I might appear to them. And especially as we started having children, I didn't want people to be like, oh, you're a doctor's kid. You're a spoiled brat. Mm -hmm. Are you? And so Mm -hmm. to lead into my next question, how can um, this external validation concept, how do we pass that on to our children? What, how does, what does that perpetuate within the generations? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the tricky thing about having kids is they can see you better than you can see yourself. And, um, especially teenagers, because I have three of them and sometimes they'll (laughs) tease me about things and it's embarrassing because I'm like, Oh no, they can see right through me and and they can see things. I don't like seeing in myself. So, um, (laughs) um, but when, so your kids are watching you and they watch what you do much more than what you say. If you are somebody who wants status, who wants to demonstrate your status on some continuum. And maybe depending on the family you came out of, you're going to maybe have different ideas about how you need to demonstrate status, right? To yourself even. But they'll watch what you value and how you um, organize yourself around these issues. Do you name drop, for example? Do you... um, say what your degrees are. How much do you feel like you need to let people around you know these things? Your kids are watching that. And so they get the idea. Okay. Then they're also getting the idea, not just by watching you interact with others, but what you pressure them around, right? That you have to demonstrate uh, your ability or your sufficiency in some way. Um, The way I got pressured as a kid growing up, as as a girl in my family was it mattered to be a hard worker. You kind of didn't have any choice about that. You just had to be a hard worker. My parents grew up in, in rural Idaho also on farms. So yeah, so I grew up in Vermont and um, my father was a professor, but we had like a huge garden and, and I don't know, we were always working. But <laughs> So it mattered to be a hard worker and it mattered to be a good member of the church, right? there wasn't a lot of focus on me getting an education. My parents, it mattered to marry a member of the church, but they didn't really care that much about my grades or even to get a PhD, which I ultimately did, was really about me actually kind of breaking with the validation model. It was more, if I had gotten married as a freshman or a sophomore at BYU, that would have fit perfectly with what they had expected. And so, uh, so my point is, you know, but I've met other people whose families put tremendous pressure on education. And so they felt a lot of need to demonstrate competency and all that, whether or not they succeeded at it. So you're, you're, you will communicate to your children what matters to you 
And then they will often then be measuring their sense of self, either in compliance to those expectations, or if they feel they can't do it, defiance of those expectations. Yeah, I like that defiance. Mm-hmm. I think as teenagers, mm-hmm. it's a mixed yes. bag as to what we get from yes, <laughs> get for that from them right. in that right. Mom and dad value this so much, and it makes me mad, and so I'm gonna you know either define myself separately from them by rejecting that, or you know reject the conditionality. But it's still anchored into that value, even though it looks on the surface like it's not. Yeah, ties right back to mm-hmm. us as parents. We mess our kids up no matter what. No, just kidding. (laughs) We try not to. We try our best. So basically just being intentional and doing our own work. And then as our children see our work, then that affects them in a positive light. Yeah, I think so. So I think especially the more you grow, you can see I've overvalued this or I've been managing my sense of self around this value or this idea. And I've, and I've, um, how to say it, I've given it to my children, whether or not I wanted to, or even was aware of it. And if you can see it and acknowledge it and release them from it, well, it's a real gift. If it's something that's interfering with them belonging to themselves or even feeling free to make their choices in a deliberate way. Yeah. Now, aside from brands and titles and fancy cars and big houses, can it come from personal details? about us as individuals. For example, uh, growing up in the 80s, I was super, super thin. In fact, my nickname was Ethi, short for Ethiopian, because that's when Mm. all the starving children in Ethiopia were all over the news. And I was was just skin and bones. And so my parents and siblings would call me Ethi, which is Mm. kind of a terrible nickname. I don't suggest it, but my size, my body became very much a part of my identity for the good and Mm. ill. I've received both praise and hate for Mm. my size, but now I'm in my forties. And after I had my last child, my size is something I've had to work for. Whereas before I never even Mm. worried about what I had to eat. I never thought about my size other than Mm -hmm. that's how I look. And now when that thinness that just always was, I have to put forth effort. It seems very scary. Probably mm-hmm. my least healthy attitude toward food has been in the last decade when I've had to mm-hmm. come to terms with, you know, is my body part of my identity? Would you agree that that is actually an external identifier? Uh, definitely. And I think what you're, um, yes all kinds of things become identifiers and the things that maybe don't give us so much trouble are the things that we sort of naturally fit with what is valued. Um, and so we maybe just don't really think about it that much because we already are that thing, you know, like, which was me uh, for decades growing up. Right. I, I fit the mold. I grew up in the nineties, heroin chic. Like I looked yep. like the models because my yep. bones stuck out everywhere. Yep. Um, exactly. So it was very simple, but I also see people around me saying, you know, this, this child is the smart one. This one's the troublemaker. This one right. is the musician. Uh, maybe right. my husband is the bishop. I'm the release right. president, all of these different 
signifiers or, or identities. Yeah. Yes. And they aren't, how to say it, it isn't inherently problematic to name qualities that you recognize about your child, especially when they're qualities that you value or that, how to say it, or that they're positive in their lives. Um, you know, my parents used to always say, you're creative, you're, you're, you know, you're a creative kid. And I didn't even fully know what it meant, but they were kind of giving me an idea about myself. So um, the, the problem might be when it's so rigid and if it keeps you from expanding your sense of self and it keeps you or, or limits your ability to really have a deeper and richer identity, you know, a lot of the work that I'm doing with people in my coaching work is helping people to expand their sense of self, to be more flexible, to be more able to respond uh, in ways that are needed. Like some people get very, like they need to be the one who's helping everyone. They need to be the one that's solving things. And it's a kind of rigid identity because they're going around helping even when it's not functional to be helping so much where if their children are going to thrive, they actually need to back off of helping, for example. So the way to expand your sense of self in some ways is to be able to be at peace without being in the helping role, right? And so they can be valuable as a way of sort of making sense of who you are and who you are not yet, but they can be a problem if they feel too deterministic, too limited, or there aren't other aspects of identity that are also welcomed in you. I like that. So essentially the why and the result that you're creating with that. Yeah, exactly. And right. Is it, is it a way that you want to stereotype your children and you want to just plug them into holes, you know, that, that, that kind of support your ideas, but aren't really who they are. That's not going to be very helpful for them. If you're helping them make sense of themselves through certain observations that help them to better know who they are and help them to make choices, then I think it can be helpful. Yeah. Do you think that social media plays a role in this for our kids and ourselves, honestly? Yeah. A hundred percent it does. I mean, I think because it social media exploits the worst in our validation seeking. And I'm not here to say that there isn't anything valuable about it or that we can't really have, that it doesn't, can't benefit us. I think there's a lot of benefits to it, but it really pushes us for the external and the self. We're, so many of us are always thinking in terms of self-presentation. Uh, some people like they live their lives in thinking about what's going to be on their social media posts that day. And it's a, not a good habit of thinking because it's so focused on the external, not on the internal. Yeah. How as parents can we help navigate? I know there's a lot of studies that are pretty conclusive that especially Instagram affects the young ladies in their yeah. depression and anxiety and um, disordered eating and all of that kind of stuff. How, how can we help our children to um, find that inner locus of control where the social media is properly placed? Mm -hmm. It's a really good question. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, 
I don't really know if I have great answers for it. I, my, I have a daughter who's um, about to start high school and she's not very consumed with it, but I don't really know why. And it may have nothing to do with me at all. <laughs> so I don't know. I think it, it, what I would guess, and there's probably people out there that have a lot more expertise in this, in knowing how to really actively help your children to not kind of fall into that trap. But I think, first of all, I think the less that you are focused on an external self-presentation way of being a female, uh, that's going to help them. The more they see you have an inner life, that you are comfortable with being flawed, that you are comfortable, you can sort of accept the whole of who you are. It's just a good way for them to understand that as a woman, there is a lot of room for me to be a whole person or as a female, right? I think the other thing is giving them opportunities to develop aspects of themselves that have nothing to do with how things appear. Because, you know, there is this sudden focus that happens in adolescence for young girls that they start to track that how they appear really matters. And if they don't have other ways of understanding themselves, other capacities, other gifts that they've developed, that can become really dominant in their way of thinking, right? Uh, that I have to establish my sufficiency in this way, in my appearance. And so um, the other thing I would say is I would probably just really discourage or just be slow to get them onto those accounts and screens and just give them as much room to not have that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I sort of think of it as like the longer you can put it off and the more you can let them mature, uh, the more they can bring some wisdom to that interface and not be so tempted into it. Yeah, for sure. I actually, as you were speaking, I was thinking about your program, your course, how to talk to your child about sex, which is an amazing mm -hmm. course and everybody should go mm -hmm. buy it because I learned so much listening to it. But you mm -hmm. talk about that golden age between eight and 12 of that's mm -hmm. when you can really teach your child. And it seems like yes. that's kind of what you were explaining just now as well, that yeah. to start teaching them before they're in the thick of social media. Yeah. And also your work on perfectionism um, mm -hmm. to show them how mom isn't To belong perfect. to their, yeah, it's okay to be a human being and to really, that self-acceptance is, an act of courage and meaning because it's just embracing and accepting our fundamental humanity. Um, and I, I think so. I mean, even helping them anticipate there is a world out there that's very image conscious and sort of, it's easy to sort of think I must measure up to all these sort of externalities and so that they kind of can understand that that exists and that it's not a healthy thing. So before they're in it, that they have some ability to kind of know about it and to think about it, I think could also be a really important antidote. Yeah. And it, what comes to mind for me is I was trying to maintain my weight because I felt like that's what I should do. And I hated it. I really hated yeah. it. And, um, my kids would ask me, well, why are you going to the gym? Stay home with us. And I didn't like my answer. I didn't like mm. the, my reason, my why. And one day I was walking into the gym 
and I just saw a carrot dangling in front of me. Like you're never going to get your 18 year old body back ever. Mm -hmm. And it had to flip for me. And Mm. what flipped was, I want to be a mom that's fit, that we can go do activities together Mm -hmm. as a family. And so that internal um, voice changed, even though my action was the same, I enjoyed gaining strength. I enjoyed um, being in my body. I enjoyed the power that I could create. Absolutely. It's a really important shift because I think anytime you're trying to do something just to be sufficient, you will hate it. Yeah. <laughs> it's unmotivating. It's like, okay, my, I'm, I'm ugly now, you know, now I must go do this. So I look the right way. I mean, that's just, that's just a horrible, it's so unmotivating and justifiably so because it's kind of like working out in, in the meaning that you're talking about is is a kind of validation of the idea that I am insufficient in my current reality. And so it's a kind of self-denigrating position. And so of course it's not motivating to do it because you're kind of acknowledging that somehow I'm insufficient. You know, you shifted it thankfully into, no, I want to be in a relationship to my body where I am taking good care of it and that I am adding to my health and my strength and blessing my life through being fit. But that's not, I've got to get back to my 18 year old self. That is, I want to be a strong woman, a strong mother. And then that's a very different meaning in a different motivator, sorry, motivator, because it's actually investing in your well-being, not trying to just establish it. Yeah, exactly. And so now when my kids say, well, just stay home, let's go do this or whatever. Why do you have to go to the gym? I now love my response that I want to spend time with you and I want to do those things. And this is me taking care of me so that Mm -hmm. I'll live longer and be healthier so that we can continue to do those fun things for longer. Yep. Yep. Um, Exactly. Right. And they see a mom who takes care of herself and is comfortable with that reality. It's also very good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's a gift mm-hmm. to them that they, yes. as a mother, they get to also have their own time and their own identity. That's right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. I have learned so, so much. Can you tell my listeners how to learn more about your teachings and the different courses and programs that you currently offer? Sure. So you can find more about me at finlayson-fife.com. That's my website. And on there, you can hear lots of podcasts. I have a podcast archive that you can uh, find there or also on iTunes, which is, which, which is just my name, Jennifer finlayson Fife. But I also do online courses um, with a main focus for LDS individuals and couples. And I have two re- two couples courses. One is a strengthening your relationship course and a sexuality course, enhancing sexual intimacy to really help couples from the comfort of their home, be able to learn a way of thinking about their relationship and their sexual relationship that they can really address some of the challenges and understand both what's been causing them some unhappiness and how they can shift their behavior. Um, to really create a happier, more peaceful, uh, intimate relationship. 
And then I also have a women's sexuality course on, it's about women's sexual development, but importantly, women's self-development, because it's very, very linked of how do I belong to myself, belong to my body, belong to my sexuality, and really be at peace there. And I'm also going to be starting a men's sexuality course this fall um, that will be live for um, a few iterations before it's, uh, meaning people will access it through Zoom. That's what I mean by live. Um, and then I also have a how to talk to your kids about sex course. Um, and it's geared to LDS parents of how to teach your values and to help your children develop sexual integrity. That is to say that to come to peace with the the existence of their sexuality or to be at peace with their sexual nature and to also, um, define and choose their values around, meaning to self-define relative to the values that you offer them so that they really um, can be capable of uh, intimate partnerships um, down the road. So those are the courses. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And I have taken the art of desire and the how to teach your children about sex course. Mm-hmm. And I have to confess, I had to order the paper manual because I love Jay Kirkerchers. <laughs> Your cover art oh, yeah. is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I'm awesome. a huge fan of his work yeah. and yeah. I can't wait for the day when I can buy a lot of it. Yeah. But um, thank you yeah. so much for being thank on you. today and for helping me and all the people that are going to benefit from your wisdom. Thank you so much. It's fun to be here. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in our show notes below to learn more about where you can find Dr. Finlayson Fife's website, her online courses, information about her upcoming events, information about her free Facebook group, and more. Thank you for being here.